are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Welcome to the Thursday podcast. You're on Westwood One for the Steve Day Show. It is a Theology Thursday. Todd and Aaron are here with us as well. As always, we love it if you let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled, in case you are new to this whole thing, D-E-A-C-E. And if you are new... Click that little subscribe button there on iTunes or Stitcher. The more of you that do that, that helps us to grow because the more people that subscribe means that's more people that see how many have subscribed. They want to subscribe too. So thank you to those of you that have already subscribed. Uh, Leave us a positive review. Those help immensely as well if you have time to do that. Uh, And thank you as well to those of you that have already done so. Our podcast each day is powered by CRTV. We just wrapped up our television show for CRTV today. Let's give the audience a preview of what's coming up. Aaron. Uh, Fake news or not, it was another disappointing example of how people we once held in high esteem just for whatever reason, when they come into Trump's orbit, they start just doing things. And it's... (laughs) It's... I don't know. It's, we, 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 have, we have a clip today of a guy who literally contradicted 40 years of his life yep. work in one interview. Yeah. Uh, that's for, what it is. All for Mr. Twum. Yeah. That's why Nikki Haley's stock is soaring. She has managed not to do this. Like, she will not answer any BS questions about... She's just like, I, I, you know, I, I think if he did all those things, those things, it's bad. I have no power over them, so troll somebody else. Let me tell you about what I'm doing. How I'm, I'm making men cry at the UN. Let's talk about that. You know what I'm, what, why is it so hard? I think it's because she doesn't work in the White House. And I think if, if you work there for him, either you, he, there's something about his persona that you internally think you need to do this, or he demands it of you to be in that orbit, that you just literally have to do this whole fearless leader routine. And it's not, it's not so much, I mean, I understand maybe some near-term figuring it out walking through it with the president and so you'd see a lucid august larry kudlow kind of working but he was instantly in boilerplate talking blame it on china blame it on how many times you did can he watch just... watch his body language yeah. watch his body language during the clip i mean if we were sitting in a court of law man they would i call our accredited court acknowledged body witness expert uh, sir, did you believe that he believed anything he was just saying? Uh, no. And let me tell you, he made every mistake. Shrugged shoulders, loss of eye contact, throwing it. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I forgot I got to say this, too. You know, did you see that in the clip? Yeah. yeah it's, 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 oh. it's sad. It's, it's sad to watch a oh, You called it de- it needs to be a meme. <laughs> yeah, he deconstructed himself. I, I, if, 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 there, if there are any leftists listening to this right now, if you are not on your own Reddit channels right now, constructing your own hashtag resist meme around Kudlow clowning himself for Trump, then you guys suck at this too. Because dude just put his head on a platter. And you could just tell too, listening to his old buddy Neil Cavito and his tone of voice, yeah, no he's not. No, that's not true. It's, 
it was it's just sad to watch, man. It's sad to watch a grown ass man do this to himself, Todd. What stood out to you? Other than that. What stood out to me is that there are a lot of amazing things that come out of Hollywood, both good and bad. One of the most amazing things, I'm not being uh, remotely hyperbolic, I can't believe a guy like Joss Whedon made The Avengers. How did that happen? It's a great movie. It's a movie that stands up for outstanding values. And Joss Whedon... A total dweeb, punk, doofus made it. That's a great point. Because we've seen broken people with psychoses do great art in the past. Like I just, a few weeks ago, watched, stayed up late watching this um, documentary on Jim, Mor- Jim Morrison on Netflix. And essentially, everything stemmed from a daddy issue. Uh, he, was, he grew up in your average all-American household. He was the all-American kid. And he wanted dad to like his poetry and think that he was a good singer. And dad thought he sucked. And so, you know, I guess I'll start dropping acid now. That's literally what happened. That is literally what happened. The old story, the daddy wound. I mean, I've lived this. I recognize that I lived it in my own life. It's one of the oldest stories known to man. What the daddy wound will do to the next generation of men. And it just broke him. But when you when you view when you when you consume his art, you you see the brokenness, right? You ever mm-hmm. listen to the lyrics of the end? Oh. You ever listen to the lyrics of some of these songs? I mean, his he cannot contain his psychosis. That's it it plays out. The melancholy plays out in the music, right? Most of the time, when someone is this broken and this gifted, they they can't they can't separate the two. They crossed the streams like the Ghostbusters warned us never to do. Yet, Whedon is odd in that we don't see that, do we? You see, um, for the most part, in what's made him successful, stuff that's uplifting, has a clearly defined good and evil. I right? think we were about to see it. Wasn't he going to do like Batgirl or yeah. something? I think he realized, I don't want to go to that yeah, unhappy place. Warner And Warner Brothers said that's not going to happen <laughs> after what happened with Justice League. But you don't, you don't see that. And you kind of started to see... You see the opposite. You see the opposite of it. I mean, the guy that... Jim Morrison was not any different in real life than what you saw on the stage. And that's true for a lot of these guys that are broken, have this kind of level of psychosis. And one of the reasons they're great at art is it's the coping mechanism. It's how they, it's, they're working out their issues. This guy's, the, what he creates with his own God-given ability is in direct contradiction to the nihilism he spews in his own life at every turn. Have you ever seen anything like this? No, I, that's why I said I'm not being hyperbolic. Like I don't know how that happened. It's a damn miracle. It is weird. Now, when you watch Justice League, I do think for the first time, some of it begins to cross. Like there's a scene, he added this himself. The opening sequence of the film is Joss Whedon added. And in the opening sequence of the film, um, there's some white neo-Nazis that have some reference to Trump on their jackets that are beating up some immigrants at their at their fruit stand or newsstand and there's this homeless guy in that opening montage that holds up a sign that says I tried 
like and, and it's it's been it's been theorized that Wheaton put that Easter egg in to say I tried to fix Zack Snyder's movie but I couldn't fix it so this is going to suck okay but even if all that's true up until this point in his career all of the nihilism he spews at every other turn of his life is nowhere to be found in the work that's made him wealthy and great that is odd and that's really odd I can't think of off the top of my head another example like that. No. I, I mean, when he tweets out things like that, it looks like you wouldn't... You, you, you it's couldn't the double-minded even, man, unstable yeah, in all of his ways. How could you even... You'd like to have a conversation about what's behind the Avengers, but it's almost like he wouldn't want to be any... Like, isn't he, like, ashamed of the Avengers? Did he just do it for the paycheck? I have no... I mean, this is the guy that had, that, that had Captain America look in a camera... And say, there's only one God, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't yeah. dress like that. And deliver that deadpan and believable. Yeah. And earnest and sincere. And then he jumps out of a plane right after that. And, you know, G.I. Joe, greatest American yeah. hero. Right? Yes. That's the guy that gave us that. And then later in the film, when, when, when some magical immortal tries to pass himself off as a god... The Hulk busts into, his, yeah. into the flat, puny. beats the living crap out of him, and like, puny god. How does the mind that gave us that give us what he well, says on his Twitter account every other day? How look, does that happen? Look at the complicated anti-hero that Tony Stark is. Tony Stark gets more and more interesting the closer he wrestles with trying to become something that this show embodies mm-hmm. when he was nothing of the sort mm-hmm. early, early on. That's a great observation, Todd. I'm going to be thinking about that. Other people who... And you know that's your next book. Isn't Josh Sweden weird? <laughs> There's all I mean people have demons, right? I mean George Reeves was the all-American Superman caricature of the 50s and 60s. He had his demons. There's there, but there's your demons. What we're talking about is there's a psychotic break with this guy. I mean he is he is passionately. The difference in the case of a George Reeves or an actor is they're playing to a script. Whedon is writing the script. He's the he's the he is the puppet master. So is he like the real life split? Yeah, and with great aplomb and passion, he advocates these very high-minded, clear, no, clear, so, sober-minded, clearly defined and clarified values in his work. And then everywhere else in his life is a hot mess. And and he, and it's not only a hot mess, but he's advocating for the hot mess at the same time. Yeah. This isn't a guy that's just a broken prophet. He's like... He's like pro-Loki in his real life. Yes! Everywhere else he's Loki, and then suddenly when he sits down to do this, he's Thor. Yes, it's it's odd. Now that you mention it, my mind is blown right now. I don't know that I can continue this podcast. My mind is so blown at you just pointing that out. I am going to be thinking about this the rest of the day. Just mind blown. I'm totally blown. My mind's totally blown by that. I thought this was kind of wide out in the open, but... I never looked at it like that. It's one of those things that's hidden in plain sight. Yeah. Hmm. Well, if you want to watch today's CRTV show and you want to see what it was that uh, got us talking about Joss Whedon, 
and that was so long ago now, I don't even remember what Aaron said he liked. But if you want to see what Aaron liked too, <laughs> all of that is at CRTV.com. If you're not yet a subscriber to our show, promo code DACE is how you can get a discounted subscription. Remember, there's a free trial. So if you try it for uh, a few days, you don't like it, uh, you are charged nothing. And you can sample not just our show, but uh, all of the shows, all the way from us. We're, we're down at the bottom of the food chain. We're other programming, all the way to the top. The great one, Mark Levin. The full gamut. You get it right here at CRTV.com, promo code DACE. All right, let's get to it, a Theology Thursday. So last Friday, we didn't have a show because Aaron was sick and too sick to come in. And since he's the one that makes it possible for us to be on, that meant we were not. And we were going to do, as a conclusion for Holy Week, a Feedback Friday surrounding that theme. I have saved the feedback we were going to respond to last Friday. And I thought for today's Theology Thursday, we would... Do sort of a listener grab bag on these sorts of topics. I you love guys ready it. to go? I yes. love it. All right. Let's begin with this one. This is from Mike Canto. He says, I'm a fan, um, and I, I listen to you guys' podcast daily and watch your CRTV show. In a recent ep- episode, you made reference to the fact that you think anytime a religious or religious move a religion or religious movement has a quote quest for cultural relevance through incrementalism, it becomes relative. I would challenge you and perhaps Todd, although I don't know where he stands on it, to think back a little bit further to apply that line of thought. If you look at the Second Vatican Council and its stated purpose with respect to the Catholic faith, what you're seeing now isn't the start of what you're talking about. It's another step in the progression you were warning us about. So I want to throw this to you because you're going to know more about this than we are because this is in your wheelhouse. This is your team. This is your home tribe, right? What do you think Mike is alluding to? First of all, what is what's what's the what's the what's the council that he's talking about? The Second Vatican Council. Well, first, put it in context. Can you read the first part about the premise that he was focusing on? That when I said the other day, whenever a, whenever the church makes its quest, its primary quest, cultural relevance, right. it'll eventually every time cross in to relativism it will lose its distinctiveness the salt will lose its flavor if you will it will lose its distinctiveness from the culture and it'll just become one with it it'll, it'll cross from relative uh a revel- revelance to relativism All that's right. what he's alluding to well now, that- i have no idea if if he's even onto something here i that's why i, no. I was curious what you thought uh vatican II uh was uh brought into it was started by pope uh john the i i can't remember exactly pope john in the uh early uh 60s uh he uh died i believe before it even started or right at the beginning and then pope uh paul took it up and finished it out those names should sound familiar because thereafter pope john paul the first took that name to honor both of those men he died very quickly and then we got pope john paul ii but vatican ii is i believe something like the 23rd great church council in all of church history the first one uh is the uh the one you obviously know steve uh, the council of now the first officially recognized one and this that one is largely recognized by you Some as well, even to the Council of Nicaea. Because yes. if, 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 if we don't draw this distinction, I'm going to get emails from every evangelical yes. listening. The first council was in Jerusalem. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yes. Okay, yeah, sorry. 
so we, we drew that. That's we made that I distinction. Make, yeah. yeah. All right. Let's go ahead. Have, we, there's, face it. We, we started this. We're getting hate mail one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. It's happening. Heretic! Um, so, yes, I believe it's something like this uh, 23rd uh, Great Council in, uh, in, in Catholic uh, Church history, but uh, it, is the, it is largely recognized by all Orthodox Christian strains. Uh, uh, it was uh, done for any number of reasons. For one, Lent. I don't know, six or seven years ago, I, I read every single document of uh, the Second Vatican Council. It dealt with, it, this is often caricatured, uh, but it de- dealt with many, many issues within the church, uh, some of uh, which are very, very uh, uh, contemporary. Others were uh, just kind of shaking the dust off and uh, but uh, one of the great ones is that th- that is when uh, the church uh, translated its mass into the vernacular from Latin. I, I th- vernacular is uh, it means common language. Yeah, the common language. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's probably what he's referring to in terms of becoming more relevant uh, and uh Contemporary. So, that, for evangelicals that learned a lot about Mel Gibson's Catholic faith while he was promoting the the year he spent immersing himself into evangelical culture as a, as a, as the as the gear up to promote the, mm-hmm. the 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 passion. And we heard about Mel Gibson's an old was an old school Latin Mass Catholic. This is what you're alluding yes, to a pre Second exactly. Vatican Council yes. Catholic. Okay, and the Latin Mass was. Is, has not been made anathema or anything like that. Because, uh, you know, we've made this whole transition since the 60s where we went from we weren't going to vote for JFK because he might have listened to the Pope to now we only want, well, although this Pope is going to test that, which I'm sure we will talk about. But but particularly the last two Popes, John Paul II and Pope Benedict, now evangelicals only want to vote for Catholics that were willing mm-hmm. to listen to the Pope. So we've made this whole transition on what this does or does not mean, right? Right. And I think there's a couple takeaways following up on what I just said. First, all those documents. Uh, I could hand Steve many of those documents and many of our listeners who aren't automatically knee-jerk uh, the church, the, the Catholic Church is a false church. I could give you those documents, and many of them you would sign off as of some of the most beautiful and orthodox Christian teachings there is. On the other hand, there was definitely... A, a we're talking about the 60s after all Steve and this is a world church but mm-hmm. there was a spirit of the age that kind of all those documents it kind of just was ready to roll on the seeds were planted uh, with the changing of the language it's which is to, to me neither here it's a value neutral thing quite frankly but it propelled people to think this is just the first step in our awakening setting aside the old so our readers corrected it was definitely a first step of sorts in sorts in terms of a whole and look at look at the fruit of that tree steve Mm -hmm. a whole what happened uh not thereafter was you had um seminaries filled with the very pederast who would end up causing the church scandal there and because the church scandal didn't just happen like the day we found out about it in the news this had been going on for decades it followed up on that the seminaries were filled with these pederasts um so there we need to be it's so open-ended a question uh I'm I'm clearly not the guy who's going to go indicting my Catholic Church, and if you get in uh, for, for uh, just, in a broad a sense, camel's nose under the tent is what you just yes, described. Yes, but thank you for that. It yeah. it was 
undeniably a camel's nose under the tent. Um, and and that, now that explains why he emailed me after listening to that because he what he sees he sees Vatican too. As a Catholic, I'm, I'm, and I'm going to stereotype him because he's got a vowel at the end of his last name, and and he actually knew the distinction enough to ask the question. So I'm going to stereotype that either he's, he's has uh, some, he's either a Catholic or has knows this is mm-hmm. in his background. Hearing me describe what books like Blue Light Jazz or what figures like Rob Bell did to evangelicalism in the late '90s, early 2000s, where there was enough orthodoxy that you didn't immediately say, ah, the parts I'm not comfortable with, you know, maybe this guy's not a heretic. Maybe he's got something new we should listen to, something modern for the current age. And then they use that, and they use that in evangelicalism to establish their credentials, get the camel's nose under the tent. Yeah. And then eventually, when they had sold all their books and made all their money, they just the wolf took off the uh, the sheep's clothes and said, uh, we, we've been uh, th- we've been heretics the whole time. We, we, we did this to get you to the point now that we're going to tell you there is no hell. And what was the whole conversation that we've had with the Pope over the weekend? Right. What it, what, what, whether or not he was denying the doctrine of hell. Correct. So this would explain why he saw a congruence in my analysis yes. of what's happened on evangelicalism side within the, within the Catholic yeah. Church. There's an excellent documentary on Netflix I would urge our audience to watch. It's called Hostage the Devil. And I think I recommended this to you about six or eight months ago. And I'm guessing you haven't watched it yet, right? Uh, no. It's about a guy who was, I think, like the original religion editor for National Review. And he served in Rome, very high up in the Catholic Church, and went to war over Vatican II. And he saw it as a camel's nose under the tent, like we just described. And essentially was sent to America to stop being a rabble-rouser, troublemaker uh, at the church. And... um, essentially started preaching traditional Catholic doctrine, got involved in exorcisms, and he was doing this in New York City, and that's how he got to, and amongst a lot of East Coast elites who were fascinated by this guy in the midst of the 60s and 70s trying to go zigging while everybody else was zagging, okay? And he got into the, uh, he, he got into the, uh, the sphere of William F. Buckley, who was fascinated by his calls to orthodoxy and things of that nature, and it go and, and so the documentary will look like it's it's only about him and his past as an exorcist. That's a that's what the title is about, mm-hmm. and and there's a lot of that in the film. But in but you'll get some you'll get some other stuff too that really gets into what drove him into this field of ministry, and that this guy had a long history before he got because when you know his detractors wanted to immediately say well this guy's a kook no one does this anymore church doesn't go here anymore this is middle age stuff we've evolved beyond that now and the point is this guy um, had a long history of advocating for orthodoxy and 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 tradition within the Catholic Church, and that's actually why he was driven into this ministry, not not because he was a kook or anything else, but, but it was the other way around. And I think I, I think whether you're Catholic or Protestant, if you have Netflix, I think you'll find that is a worthwhile view. I would recommend watching that. That's fascinating. And there's another way that everybody should think about this. Contemporizing the Catholic Church in some respects, i.e., the vernacular, again, a value a value neutral thing. I think that smart men should recognize potentially fraught with some peril, but still perhaps a place we should go. Because along with this man, I, I just don't want to eat too easily caricature uh, who is. It, 
this guy was so clearly right looking back on it. I, a lot of decisions that are made about important things in life, Steve, theologically or otherwise, um, it, it, it's not a, a wrong decision that was made at the outset, but the carrying out of that decision or losing sight to, or the wrong men, i.e., for example, there were very two young theologians, the two youngest of all, I believe, that were there at Vatican II. Their names were Carol Wojtyla and Joseph Ratzinger. They became Pope, Pope John Paul II and yeah. Pope Benedict. Right. Two, is anybody going to argue that they were Orthodox uh, Catholics? And ultimately, in Carol Wojtyla's own life, you saw um, that ethos I'm talking about of, of getting out into the world. Uh, same thing as a vernacular. He, was, uh, he obviously had a plane at his disposal in a way, but he was the most traveled pope of all time. His energy was enthusiastic. The, the youth came to him. Then his health fell apart. And he was, an, an, a, in, for me, an incredibly inspiring example once again. But that's also when then he couldn't do his leadership role fell apart. And look what happened around him. Again, the Catholic abuse scandal, not nearly as strong men in charge running it. So uh, it, it, it's not quite as easy to say the initial ethos behind uh, Vatican II was so clearly wrong, but if it gets in the hands of the wrong men, Steve. Exactly. I mean, I you've, that, you've that, been that, about this your whole life in preaching about politics and who's in D.C., who's in your local state house. I think that's an excellent point. I think that is, that's why... When when people when there are suggestions of modernizing methods, I think it's an error. I, I, an error doesn't mean I, I think it's a heresy. I, I think it's a tactical error. That's what that's why I use the word error. I think it's an error to either immediately glom onto it or to immediately dismiss it. You know, I mean, we take church we take chairs for granted in the church. When they were introduced in the 12th century, people lost their minds. Well, folks are going to fall asleep. What do you mean chairs? I, I mean, music. When we, you know, we had denominations on, on the Protestant side. There's even some that's, one in particular, I think, that still holds to this. But we had several denominations on the Protestant side that would hold to, if it's not in the Psalms, we're not singing the psalm. By the way, pay attention, folks, because Steve is understanding my point Exactly with so that means going. we're not going to sing Amazing Grace. We're not going to sing, you know, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We're not going to sing Silent Night. Okay, um, and and I think that you have to look at who the who what's the those that are that are urging the modern the that are urging the modernization because I believe in modernization. I use the tools of modernization to advocate. I use modern techniques to advocate a pretty old school message. But you have to look at when the people when, when people are advocating modernization, do not we have a tendency because we see things through flesh and, and by sight. We don't see things we you know we look at what's on the on, on the on the outside. God sees what's on the inside, right? So we have a tendency to think are we comfortable with that method you want me to to evolve to or not? So we're focused on the methodology, not the ideology. When really, it's about the ideology of the person who's recommending you adjust your methodology. See what I'm trying to say here? Yeah, exactly. Does the person who's, who's recommending you modernize your methodology, are, do they have a sound ideology? If they have a sound theology, then I'd be more inclined to listen. If they don't have much of a record on ideology, much of a record on theology, you know, we had all these... You know, uh, Generation X, 
28 to 40-year-old Brian Walsh, Rob Bell, all these guys in the emergent church just explode in the late 80s or late 90s, early 2000s. Take off. We have really no record of who they were or what they believed at all beyond their calls for modernization. And it was their calls of modernization that gave them a claim. But we never really vetted their ideologies and their theologies. And modernization eventually became moderation. Moderation eventually became abandonment, which is where all those guys I just mentioned are at right now. So what happened, the number one, if you look at every major church survey of the last 25 years, I think you're going to find the top two reasons people leave a church are music and dress. Nothing about doctrine, nothing about immorality in the church, music and dress. And Trump. And, 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 and we're going to get some of that here in a few minutes. And Trump, in other words, methodologies. Do you, do you like my political methodology or that I have one? Would you prefer that I abstain from politics or you won't, you won't involve yourself enough? Are, is our music modern? Is it, not, is, is it not modern enough? Is it too old school? How should we dress? Do we dress up? Do we dress down? These are, these are, these are methodologies. And we, are, we, we want to be comfortable. We think we are in league with people whose methodologies line up with our own. And that is not true. And this, this is not unique to our time. Early in the, even in the Gospels, the disciples come to Christ and they say, hey, there's this guy over here doing, these, doing, you know, doing this stuff in your name. Uh, you didn't, he, he didn't, he's not one of us. We didn't, we didn't pick him. He's not tiptoeing through the tulips of Galilee at night with, uh, with, with, with Jesus. Should we go over there and shut this guy down? What does Christ say? No. Whoever's not against us is for us. Right away, Paul deals with this. Some of you are saying you're saved by Cephas. That's a reference to Peter. Some of you are say, saying you're saved by Apollo. Some of you are saying you're saved by me. There's one Lord, one baptism. You're only saved by Jesus. When you go watch the Apostle Paul movie, and Luke is like, hey, I need to, before, they, before your days are numbered, we need to do a chronicle of your ministry so it will inspire people. And Paul's immediate rejection of that is, I don't want people worshiping Paul. And how does Luke respond in the movie? He says, it's not about you. But when I saw you preaching the gospel, I saw Christ in you. That's what people want. To, that's what we need to chronicle. We want to latch on to the, the fleshy personality and process that lines up with our preferences. And that's why we're more comfortable with methods and methodologies, not ideologies and, and, and theologies. So if, if someone who has shown an, an honor for a fealty to or a history of orthodoxy stands up and says, you know, guys, you recognize we're not talking to the same people Augustine was talking to. We're not, we're not talking to the same people John Wesley was talking to. You recognize that, right? Listen. But if someone, you know, it, it, Paul writes to Timothy, 
it, that you know, because Timothy's like, well, I'm too young to lead a church. It's not, it's not your human age. It's your spiritual age. He says, hey, there could be old men, much older than you, who are spiritually immature, and if you put them in authority, they'll be arrogant, and they'll be, don't put them there. They haven't shown spiritual maturity. So when somebody who hasn't shown spiritual maturity stands up and says, hey, I've got some cool new practices, and I'm the know-it-all. Follow me? No. Nope. You know, when this guy named Saul says, hey guys, I know I was trying to kill you like 36 hours ago. My name's Paul now, and I'm in charge. That's not what happened. He spent three years in Arabia being discipled. In the, in the Apostle Paul movie, Luke asked him, why'd you go to Arabia for three years? I needed to know what it meant to be like Christ. I needed to be discipled. So if, if we were just talked about what the first council was, the council of Jerusalem, if Paul shows up at the council of Jerusalem and rebukes Peter, without having taken those steps, without having shown spiritual maturity, think Peter would have deferred to him? No, nor should he have. If Paul had gotten converted the day before, shows up at the Council of Jerusalem and says, all right, I think I got some new ideas here, guys. That's where Peter stands up and says, yeah, you know, I I actually spent three and a half years with Jesus, so uh, wait your turn, kid. And he's perfectly within his rights to do that. Paul isn't, at that point, wouldn't have shown any spiritual maturity. But taking three years to go and learn to be weaned off the world, discipled into a new life transformation, and then to go out and model it in your preaching, teaching, and living, now you will defer to him. Even though, even though Paul didn't walk with Christ the way Peter did, that's where Peter had the wisdom to defer to Paul in that matter because he saw Christ in him. That's the difference. Is there a history of orthodoxy? of maturity in the one that is advocating a new approach. If there is, doesn't mean he's right either, but I didn't say go along with it. I said, listen. If there's not, I wouldn't even bother listening. We have a tendency, though, when someone preaches a methodology we like, particularly if it tells us this is how we can be more popular with the world that hates us. We get, we get all up into that. We love that. We get it all over us. Take that, give me that, yeah, cultural relevance. I'm going to bathe in that idol. I'm going to rub it on my belly. I'm going to get some on my face. I might even wipe my, I'll go to the bathroom and wipe my backside with it. I love it. I'm going to take a shower with that. Love that. I mean, the culture's going to like me. I can make money like doing this. I'm all in. We love that methodology. Be very leery of that. Is that what you're getting at? Exactly. This is from Jay Bro. No, not J Bro. J Bro, like the like the Cajun spelling. Louisiana. B-R-E-A-U. All right. So not like J Bro dude. All right. He's not Aquaman. Hey bro. Okay. I recently subscribed to CRTV for Crowder, but now I've discovered your show and I can honestly say I think it's it's one of the biggest factors in my staying beyond the month beyond the free trial. As a seminary student that has grown frustrated with evangelicalism's involvement in politics, your show is a breath of fresh air in a sea of Jerry Falwell Jr.'s. I'm always pleasantly surprised when I see someone present the gospel so clearly in the political sector. So I've got to ask, what Christian tradition do you come from? You answered your own question, Jay. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be trite or super hip cool. I come from the Christian tradition. That's what I come from. I come from the tradition of 
I try to take the word of God at face value as best I can, acknowledging how broken I am, how sinful I am. That's about it, you know. I come from the Christian tradition of uh, do no longer be conformed to the thoughts and patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's, that's the tradition I come from. And if you present something to me that I think the Word of God agrees with you on, I don't really care what your logo on your team jersey is. I will agree. If you bring something to me that I don't think the Word of God agrees on, I don't care what the team logo on your jersey is, I won't agree. If you can show me I'm in error uh, according to what the Word of God says, then I will change what I think. And even if you vehemently disagree with me, call me every name in the book and make every argument that I'm wrong about what the Word of God says other than using the Word of God to make that argument, I won't change my mind. That's, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, I just, you know, I mean, I've read a lot of different Christian thinkers from antiquity to the modern age, and I don't know what else to say, no, guys. You, you, I think you will after I follow up. Now, I would obviously say Catholic, mm-hmm. and most Catholics along the entire spectrum of Catholicism would say the same thing, even though I have no problem calling Catholicism a denomination in the conversational sense. It, it, it's not... It's not quite the same. I, the denominationalism ultimately is a very Protestant thing. I mean, mm-hmm. we, and I think many Protestants in good faith would recognize that. But just talking about Protestants of a, a conservative slash orthodox strain who are asked the same question, you, you know you are in the severe minority who would answer the way you just did, you're, correct? You're, you're again explaining to the audience why I have very few friends. <laughs> <laughs> Discuss. Yes, I'm not a joiner by nature, guys. I'm just not. You know, um, I'm not always intense. Uh, what you, when I get intense on the show, it's not contrived or an act. It is part of my personality. If you're around me privately, you'll see me get intense about things, but it's not my consistent setting. You'll see me laugh at really dumb, immature stuff. I'm a normal person. Um, I, I think, I, you know, I, I'd rather spend a Saturday afternoon in my man cave watching uh, college football all day with my kid. You know, I'm, I'm a normal person. I, so I don't think it's, I think when I talk about me being unlikable, I don't really think it's my persona. I, I really think it's my unwillingness to be a joiner. That's what, that's, most people want you to rub their bellies, tell them they're a victim, and that their idol is every bit as amazo as they think it is. That's just never going to be me. I'm sorry. And I've even tried at times in my life. I just I can't. And doesn't and it doesn't mean I'm like super holy. I've got my own issues, man. Sometimes you see them play themselves out on the air when I let my tongue and language get the better of me, okay? You know, that that's one of the reasons why I'm uncomfortably to some of you transparent about my own moral weaknesses. To avoid, I'm trying to crush this notion. I'm Mr. Super Holy. You guys are around me all the time. Am I Mr. Super Holy? You are not Mr. Super Holy. I am not holy. Mr. Super <laughs> Wrong answer. And when we're done, Todd's going to be like, have you ever heard of the sacrament of confession, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> or an exorcism, perhaps. All right. I, I'm, I just, for whatever reason, you know, God put me on this earth. What he missioned for me to do required me to be incapable of being your fanboy. 
Okay. And so I'm just, I'm not a joiner. I won't join your tribe. And it's not personal. It's not you. I'm just not willing. You know, when I was a kid, I loved Chris DeBerg's Don't Pay the Ferryman. Remember that song? No. He's the guy that sang The Lady in Red. Everybody remembers that went to number one. But the song before that was really cool. Don't Pay the Ferryman. It was a cool video where they crossed the River Styx. It was really cool. All right. Probably would watch it now and think this is really lame. But in 1982, I thought it was the bomb.com. I don't want to pay the toll to join your tribe. And I was, I've always been like, even when I was a pagan, that's why, that's why all things work together for the glory of God and for those called according to his purposes, right? Joseph says to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God used for good. I was made this way. I was like this in high school. Well, you know who else was? I, I, you I, just I, got done talking about him. St. Paul, I, same I ref- story. Yes, I refuse to conform. I would not conform to your cliques. I was a, I was a jock who got good grades and, a, and, a, and an honor roll student who was a jock. And I had no problem hanging out with stoners. Now, I'm not smoking dope with you, but I kind of like listening to the same music you do, so I'm fine. I, I will not conform. I, I can't do it. I've tried because it would be to my financial benefit to do so. Then I mentioned I'm not super holy. I would like to be wealthier. I'd like to be more successful. I'm not going to sit here and pretend it doesn't bug me when I see people who I think from a talent perspective, to quote the great prophet Larry Holmes, couldn't hold my jockstrap, who I've debated in the past and literally with 90% of my brain behind my back, I could whip them. I could bear, I could do what they used to say Bear Bryant used to do. He can take yours and beat you with yours and take his and beat yours with his. I can do that. With, I, can, I could beat most of you with the other side's arguments. And so when I watch people who don't have an ounce of my talent soaring past me on the career ladder, am I taking that very well right now, guys? You're around me. Let's just keep it real. Am Neither I taking am that really I. well? No, um, I'm not taking that really well right now. It's kind of a thorn in the side. Yeah, right so now. it's my. It, this, I'm really identifying with Paul and the thorn in the flesh right now because that thing, it's delving, it's digging deeper. It's bothering the hell out of me. You're coming deep, Shrek. <laughs> yes. So I bring all this up to say I'm not super holy, I'm just a guy. And that's why I had to keep it simple. I, I just come from the tradition of what's the word of God say? And if you're right, that's what it's, and if, if that's what it says, then I'm in. I don't care what team label you want. And, and I'm not going to make you join my team. And I'm not going to, you don't have to ask me to join yours. Most people can't do that, though. Most people want to join, most people need to have a team. Went and saw Ready Player One with the kids yesterday, and the kid who's the hero is a non is, won't join. They have clans, you know. They're trying to figure out how to solve the mystery of the of of the oasis invented by this Bill Gates like character. So whoever solves the mystery, he will leave it to him in his will, and he becomes the most richest, most powerful man in the world. And everybody's joining up in clans. This kid's just out there from Ohio doing this himself. Now, I really don't want to join your clan, but thanks. Not inter- they offer him like five million dollars to join this. Uh, I don't. Yeah, not really much of a joiner. You know, so I, I get that, and I think I had to. I think I had God had to make me that way because there is no way, no way, I could do what I do every day if I needed the approval of other people so much. No way. And most people do need other people's approval, which is why you lose them. Because they, I, I, I need that seat at the table. See, I want those things. I, I want a seat at the table. I want to be wealthier. I want to be more successful. I don't need it. 
I want it badly. But if I needed it, I'd make the life choices necessary for those things to happen. See what I'm see the yeah. distinction I'm drawing here? Yeah. So I I'm I am I am a man. I have a penis. I'm hyper competitive. I hate to lose far more than I enjoy winning. But I want those things. I don't need them. And that's why I won't do the things that are required to obtain them. If the requirement is I lose my soul to this, I'm not going to do that. I've even tried. I, I can't. It's beyond my jurisdiction. I, I can't do that because the way I was made won't permit it. Did I answer his question, do you think? Yeah. Yes. Well, of course, we've only answered two from now. Had a lot of fun doing it, but that's what's frustrating. I, I could go twice as long. All right. I'm going to take two more. All right. Because this one needs to be shared. Jeffrey Broton writes, here's a little background. I'm an associate pastor of a small church. And this debate over Trump has had real-world implications in our congregation. I have personally been impacted by Trump derangement syndrome. The senior pastor is a conservative and civically active, but does not generally get involved in primaries and trying to elect candidates. After Trump had secured the nomination, the senior pastor said on social media he would vote for Trump, but that he was not endorsing him. Two families who read that didn't care about the second part and left the church over it. Also on social media, I made remarks that I was not never Trump, but pointed out the problems with the lessers of two evil, or the lesser of two evils argument. These were the same arguments I had made in 2012. I had even made remarks like these from the pulpit prior to the primaries, and people agreed with me then. Oh, Jeffrey. Jeffrey. <laughs> Ebony and Ivory. Oh, Jeffrey, do I know your tale of woe, Jeffrey? It's amazing how much, how many of you agree with me in the primary. And then suddenly, three seconds after the primary ends, and I say all the stuff you agreed with three seconds ago, and I'm the worst person ever. Have you guys encountered that in this job yet? A mm. little bit? Mm. Yeah. Huh. I had even made remarks like these in the pulpit prior to the primaries, and people agreed with me then. But somehow there was too much at stake now, and three families wanted the senior, senior pastor to shut me up or fire me. When he refused... One of the families left. I'm sure you've been around small churches and understand the impact of losing three families, what that can have on your average attendant when your average attendance is maybe 80 people before those families left. So I've had my life directly impacted by both never Trump and always Trump, and I think both sides are in error. We both know from the we both know the left doesn't care about Stormy Daniels or that Trump slept with her while he was married. This is just another cudgel for them in a political war. His real crime is being a Republican. His poor character is was why I didn't support him in the first place. None of this stuff should be a surprise to anyone, and I personally don't touch the subject at all. But there are those like Matt Walsh and Eric Erickson, with whom I have a lot of respect, who are not only outspoken about it, but think people who don't share their convictions are in error. Now, my question is this. Do you think we should respond to these credible accusations against Trump, given the understanding that this has been weaponized by the left? If so, how? Well, you know, I know Matt and Eric. I wouldn't say we're like bosom buddies, but I, I, I know them and their work well enough to know. I don't think they believe if you disagree with their convictions, you're in error. I think they believe if you are lying to others and yourself about the source of your disagreement, then you're in error. See where I'm, see where I'm getting at? Yeah. Okay. So let's, but I'll let Matt and Eric, both of them have bigger platforms than me. They can defend themselves just fine. They don't need my help. As to the rest of you, know, Jeffrey, I don't know that you need much of my counsel. 
I think you pretty much have this figured out. You've got, you've got, you know the players. You know where the left is coming from. You've personally experienced on both sides of the always Trump, never Trump idolatry, what that does within the faith community. I don't know what advice I would give you other than trust your instincts. They seem to be pretty good so far. I would just say it's a little bit like um, uh, Superman's mom in the Batman versus Superman, if I'm not mistaken, where uh, she says, I'm paraphrasing, but you'll be able to help me, Steve, uh, help the people. Don't help the people. Be their monument. Don't be, be their it. Maybe, whatever. You don't, you don't owe them a thing. Yeah. Now, it's not, uh, obviously, as a pastor of a church, you you do owe them something. But what you don't owe your it's church... It's what they think you owe yes. them. Yes. You owe them what the Lord says you owe them. That's where You I'm do going. not owe them what they think you owe them. Yes. So, talk about Donald Trump. Don't talk about Donald Trump. If it comes up within the natural course of your mission to serve uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and your fellow man. If he fits into that, fine. But if if you feel called to respond to everything Donald Trump does or doesn't do, he has become an idol within your church. And in many respects, Donald Trump ending this world has been a good but painful thing for a lot of churches because it has shown them at least the fact that they had an idol, an idol that was creeping around underneath all along, Steve. Uh, it, it, it Suddenly, Donald Trump didn't suddenly, like, g- grab a bunch of people that otherwise all just had it real zeroed in. Every show I did about Trump, I did it about McCain, and I did it about Romney. It was just amplified. I've, I, that's why I'm sick of this argument. I have done this show for 10 years, 10,000 times. Aaron. Yeah, uh, that's well said, and I think he's definitely on the right on the right track. And we don't go uh, starting our or look looking for uh, arguments or looking for uh, opportunities to talk about Trump. Uh, in in it sounds like in your context, your job is to preach the gospel. Uh, this guy is a pastor, correct, of yes. a small church. Yep, um, and to shepherd your flock. Uh, and and maybe what that means, uh, maybe this is a pruning. Maybe maybe that's a pruning, and that's not easy to to hear. And I get that I'm not in your position where three you know three families are mm-hmm. are leaving. Uh, my dad or my girlfriend's dad, uh, he you know he pastored a small church for um, a number of years. He has stories like this as well. So that's not easy, um, but at the same time, maybe at the end of the, the day, this this is a good thing. And again, I don't like saying that because I'm not in your shoes, but maybe maybe this is a bit of a pruning. Here's what you owe them, Jeffrey. Feed the sheep, shoot the wolves. That's what you owe them. Feed the sheep, shoot the wolves. Jesus says to St. Peter on that beach, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then feed my sheep. Then feed my sheep. Augustine says there are many sheep 
without, many wolves within. A shepherd protects his flock from the wolves. Feed the sheep, shoot the wolves. That's all you owe them. One more. Let's end on a good note. Not that wasn't a good note, but I mean, a more uplifting one. How's that? Got it. Mm -hmm. Okay. After I heard the podcast the other day with the testimony of the listener you shared and how it encouraged you, I thought I would try to encourage you a little bit as well because I've gotten so much encouragement from your show. I started listening several years ago while you were still just a local show in Iowa, even though I wasn't local because I had read something you wrote and I thought, wow, here is a guy telling some truth. I stopped listening for a while because I was a little offended at something you did. It was probably nothing, but you know how people get offended over nothing. Happens to us all of the time. I'm afraid. You bet it does. I'm guilty of it too. After a while, though, I had come to back. I, I I came back because you were the only one anywhere telling the truth about so many things that others simply would not speak to. I don't think I would have made it through the election without losing my mind if it wasn't for you guys' show. After the election, though, I had to detox from all things political, including your show, for a few months. I think, in fact, this is, another, this is also not good marketing. Didn't we tell people after the election to detox, even if that meant not listening to us for a while? Mm-hmm. Yes. Didn't we actually say that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I just watched Miracle on 34th Street again, where you know Chris Kringle convinces every. Actually, no, the you know Gimples down the street has a cheaper. So, like, I was all inspired by that. Yeah, you shouldn't listen to us. Detox. That was bad marketing. Bad. All right. It's not. A, it's not good. Don't let me don't let me be that honest again. <laughs> anyway, after the election, though, I had to detox from all things political, including your show, for a few months. When I got that out of my system, I came back and I'd missed your show. Was so glad you were still there and doing more than just politics. We lost the podcast for a while, and I'm so glad it's back. It's what lifts me up in the morning on my drive in and on my drive home from work. Really? <laughs> you just went Neil Cavuto, yeah. like when he does <laughs> that clip on the TV show. No, when he we does don't. Cudlow. Hey, and Trump's a free trader. No, he's not. You lift me up. No, we don't. <laughs> oh, it would have been better, Aaron, if you would have said if you would have, Aaron would have gone narrator. No, we don't. That would have even been better. You're wrong. <laughs> Uh, it's what lifts me up in the morning on my drive in and on my drive home from work. My road trip last year where I got to meet you guys was one of my favorite times of my life. Uh, of course, below my kids being born and, and getting married, but you guys know what I meant by that. But I and so many others really are encouraged by you and your team. The best part is you're just regular guys who exhort that no one is famous but Jesus. You're still one in a million. Really appreciate everything you guys do. You guys are awesome. Larry Amen. Well, Larry, thank you very much for sharing that thank with you, us. Larry. We greatly appreciate that. Very much. And uh, you have made our day. And that's it for our Theology Thursday podcast. Coming up uh, today on CRTV, don't forget, we get into more adventures and babysitting in the Middle East. You know, it's one of my favorites. I love me making sand dunes and third world countries great again. I love it. Get, get, get that all over me. I can't get enough of that. So we'll get into that and more today on CRTV.com, promo code DACE. And also tomorrow, the Dace Group Roundtable and Feedback Friday. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you. Oh,